This week's episode of the Hot Four podcast is proudly sponsored by Lalaman Brewing. Lalaman Brewing, a division of Lalaman Inc., a global producer of yeast and bacteria, is helping brewers achieve their growth and quality goals by offering products, services, and education. Lalaman Brewing's premium brewing yeast and bacteria deliver unmatched consistency, reliability, and purity, allowing brewers to take full control of the brewing process. At the forefront of innovation, Lalaman Brewing recently launched several dry yeast products, Lal Brew Voss, Wild Brew Philly Sour, and Lal Brew Verdant IPA. I personally use Lalaman yeast when brewing Emmanuel's and have been over the moon with their Verdant IPA yeast, not just in IPAs, but also in ESBs and a variety of other beers. It gives a lovely distinct flavour, attenuates well, and is just excellent to brew with. So for more information about Lalaman's products in the UK, please contact the local representative, Andrew Patterson. Global contact details for the UK and other territories can be found via their website, lalaman.com. That's lalaman.com. Additional support this week comes from SSV Limited. High quality tanks, parts and brewing kits coupled up with their knowledge and experience ensures your project runs smoothly from beginning to completion. SSV Limited want to say thank you to all our customers who have supported us over the last year. Don't forget to check the web shop if you need any essential brewing spares over the festive period at ssvlimited.co.uk. And of course, from all the team here at SSV Limited, wishing you a very Merry Christmas. I'm Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hop Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions, and stories from the whole brewing supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a glass, pour yourself a beer, and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Happy Christmas, everyone, and welcome to the penultimate sesh on the Hop Forward podcast for 2021. It's not long now for the big day. At the time of recording this, a mere six days before Christmas itself, here in the UK, there's loads of uncertainty whether we, we being the brewing and hospitality industry, will even be open this time next week. With everything that's been going on with the pandemic, in politics here in Britain and in my personal life, without sounding too downbeat about it all, to be honest, I found it really hard to muster up the emotional energy to remain positive. Now, forgive me for wearing my heart on my sleeve. It's just who I am and who I've always been. I don't think, for me at least, this is just related to these past two years, but probably the past five or six. While moving into the brewing industry in many ways was one of the best decisions I ever made, I still don't feel much further forward from a brewing perspective than I did before. Of course, it's relative because in so many ways I really am. You know, I started this podcast in 2018 to both A, help other people out in their businesses and B, to learn more about brewing and running a beer business myself. And you could say I've achieved those two aims, and I have in lots of ways. I work with a variety of clients in the UK and abroad. I've helped shape brands, breweries, and businesses with my creativity and expertise. And yet, there's a brewing-shaped hole that I'm just not filling much at the moment. My good, good friend Darren from the Industry Tap in Sheffield often says I put far too much pressure on myself. But you know what? I just really enjoy making beer and struggling to find the time to do it. Forgive me for the self-indulgent musings, but is this one of those moments where you've got your rose-tinted spectacles on, where 
the reality wasn't as great as you remember it. For example, there were lots of challenges and times where I felt like I was headbutting the wall at the brewery. And as my dad always says, the only person who gets a headache is you. But there was something I genuinely loved about it and something that I still love about it. So no matter how down I feel, and again, being totally honest, 2021 hasn't been great for my mental health as I've had to face up some hard truths, work through some past trauma and face up to my wounded ego. No matter how down I feel, I've had these pockets where I'll be out at an event or visiting another brewery or city or be chatting to a guest on this very podcast and I'll just feel like a round peg in a round hole. But I haven't felt like that all too often for some time. One of the advantages of running an industry-focused podcast like this while actually being a commercial brewer, albeit on a very small scale, is that I no longer have the naivety that accompanies new breweries that often are starting out. Although it's a bit of a double-edged sword, because to be honest, on the one hand, it stops you from making silly mistakes. But on the other hand, it causes you to be much more cautious than maybe you need to be. There are many realities to a brewer's life that you just simply don't see when you're starting up a brewery, especially if, like me, you'd not worked in the industry before as an employee for a brewery, but you're coming into it green, as they say. But when you have worked in the industry, you can ask yourself the questions like I'm asking myself at the moment. What do I want this to be? How can this fit in with my lifestyle and where I'm at? What's the long game? The reality is that running a brewery is really, really hard. I'm pretty confident many of you listening will have experienced it for yourself and will know all too painfully the many, 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 many challenges that each day brings. And that's without living through a global health pandemic or other national emergency. If I'm honest, sometimes I question myself why I'm still working in the beer industry or why I even aspire to get Emmanuel's back on its feet as a fully viable business again. They say that there are two things you should never go into if you want to make money. Starting a brewery or becoming a musician. And as both, or as a brewsician, as my wife calls it, well, let's just say the pension pot isn't looking particularly healthy at the moment. But I have met some fantastic people who work in the industry and it's stories from people like Lucy Clayson Jones and her husband Mike, founders of Double Barrel Brewery in Reading, and the journey they've been on these past six years that both deeply resonates with me and inspires me to keep going. I don't know whether it's the dream of owning lots of shiny stainless steel or having a venue and space to welcome people into for good times and great beers or the prospect of building a team with like-minded and equally passionate people or perhaps it's the creativity and the facts that you're making you know beer but there's something that resounds with me and it's something that I feel double barrels seem to have in droves Double barrels certainly have made a name for themselves in such a small space of time, producing everything from traditional German Hefeweizens to deep chocolatey imperial stouts. However, it's their flagship pale ale Parker, an easygoing 4.5% citra hopped pale ale that has earned them so much love amongst everyone from the total hopheads to the totally clueless about what citra even is. Couple that up with their dedication to quality, consistency, and a passion to do it with care and kindness towards everyone they interact with. That's what keeps people like me working in craft beer. 
And I bet that's what keeps you here too. And I just so happen to have a can of Parker on hand. So I'm going to wish you a very happy Christmas. Crack this open and let's do some tasting. I truly appreciate having a good beer on hand. So I've had this once before. I remember it being nice, but that's about as much as I remember. So, so if you've not come across Double Barreled, um, you're in for a treat with today's episode. I really enjoyed chatting to Lucy. And their beer's great. Look at that. What <laughs> perfect thing to say on a podcast, that, isn't it? Look at that. Can't even see it, can you? I'll describe it to you, shall I? So it's a sort of opaque, pale yellow colour with a lovely thick, white, creamy head. Do you remember that advert? Boddington's, the cream of Manchester. Well, it makes Boddington's look like flat, yellow smudge. Technical term. Anyway, so as you can imagine with a, a citra pale ale, there's a lovely zesty citrus aroma on the nose. It's kind of gentle, but you definitely get a lot of it, but it's not like super aggressive. So we're just going for the taste. You know, it's so refreshing. And it's it's light. It's got oats in it, but it's none of that kind of... Sometimes I find New England IPAs a little bit... I don't think cloying's the word. Maybe it's that pillowy mouthfeel that I don't always like with them. I don't think you get much of that with this. You just get... There's a nice level of bitterness to it. Again, it's not like super aggressive, but it's just there. It sort of tingles on the back of your tongue slightly right at the end of the taste but it's a smashing beer and i can see why people will happily sit in their tap room and drink pints and pints of this on end so so make sure you check out double barrel not just because they make great beer but they are genuinely lovely people uh, one of the things i really appreciated about this conversation with lucy was her honesty and um we you know we chatted for a while after we hit the stop button and had a great conversation and I think she was quite worried about sounding negative or doom and gloom. Well, my intro perhaps may be, but um, this conversation with Lucy is anything but. Lucy talks about her journey, brewing in a garage and attracting the attention of well-known beer journalists and critics at, at Craft Beer Rising in London, to how taking on every employee has been a leap of faith and how they've had to relinquish control of their baby and let other people run with it. And that's been a, a bigger jump, probably more so than setting up a 24 hectolitre brew house in 2018. However, before we crack into that conversation, I'm joined this week yet again by Andrew Patson from Lalaman Brewing to talk about yeast. Happy Christmas. Thank you very much. Happy Christmas to you too. Yeah, so it's uh, nearly, nearly the big day. So you got, you got any plans lined up for Christmas? I will probably be at my mum and dad's house um, and they can occupy my mad daughter running around opening presents. Yay. Let's... <laughs> <laughs> uh... we come down and have a, have a beer and wait for dinner. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if, if you listen to this, just to be transparent, we, we pre-recorded this. It's not actually Christmas week at the moment. So um, that'll be subject to whether we're locked down or not. <laughs> <laughs> with this uh, yeah, Omicron variant. Touch, so, touch wood. <laughs> <laughs> so ho hopefully you are still actually this actual week going um, to your parents. But if if not, happy lockdown Christmas. Yeah, it'll be a bit disappointing. But yeah. we'll, we'll find a way to enjoy ourselves. Until... <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, is uh, Father Christmas bringing you anything exciting? 
I don't sound it right, but I am actually a Scot, and I'm going to go see Scotland versus France in the Six Nations. So I've asked for a Scotland rugby shirt. Nice. Fingers uh, you don't sound like from Scotland. Whereabouts are you from? I was born in Edinburgh. We moved away when I was quite young. So uh, I see. Ed- the, the accent evaporated. That's it. That's Ed- Edinburgh, though, isn't it? It's kind of like the London of Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> my, 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 my brother-in-law and his um, partner live in Edinburgh so um, yeah I'm a, I'm a lovely bit, city yeah some good breweries up there I'm, I'm really partial to go to the Hanging Bat every time so um, yeah I mean over the last few weeks we looked at a different couple of yeast strains but I'm, I'm uh, quite interested in Philly Sour which is what we're going to chat about today um, can you fill me in and fill our listeners in with what is Philly Sour and What's it good for? I'm guessing by virtue of the name that it's good for souring. <laughs> yeah, that is correct. It's, it's kind of a it's a new solution for sour beer. So, you know, in the past, if you're making sour beer, you either rely on it the, the traditional way, which is fine. You know, you just take wort, you let it kind of get naturally inoculated from the environment, and it turns slowly sour and ferments over the course of about two years, which is fine, but takes ages. Then in modern times, you know, your craft brewers have started doing kettle souring, where yep. you take a a bacterial culture in our case we sell the sour pitch and the helvetica stitch um which work very well um but you do have to type your kettle for a certain amount of time so between 24 and 72 hours depending on how uh, effective the souring is mm-hmm. um so we're kind of looking at other solutions uh and one presented itself to us which is pretty sour which is actually a yeast that produces acid as it ferments um, so rather than having to do a kettle souring step you send your work forward to uh, fermentation as usual and instead of pitching a brewing yeast you pitch the Philly sour yeast um, which is a species of Lahantia which can create lactic acid as it ferments yeah that's that's, that's clever <laughs> as they say <laughs> um so, like, one of the things with um, sour beers, and this is personal taste, because I know that there are loads of listeners out there that love, love sours, and, I, like, I'm partial to, like, lambics and that kind of thing, but I, I find with kettle sours, um, when people have added, like, yoghurt to the, you know, or some other bacterial culture to the, the wort and kept it a, a, you know, sort of warmish temperature, that they can tend to have a bit of a tang to them. So... Is that just a byproduct of kettle souring or, or, or can, and again, some people really like that flavour. Um, does Philly Sour produce a similar kind of flavour or is it a little bit more of a, um, I, I want to say rounded acidity, if that even exists? <laughs> In some respects, it's, it's actually quite clean. So, right. I mean, it produces kind of nice acidity and like kind of a, a generic fermentation freezy character, but mm. it's it's nothing like, crazy on the like flavor front it's mostly acidity um but it's not too much either so it's not producing like really high levels of titratable acidity it's probably more comparable to the sour pitch than to the helvetica's pitch right produces quite a quite a lot um so you get kind of a a mild kind of acidity to it so it's quite accessible it's not it's not too much yeah um what I really don't like in sour beers is acetic acid. Um, so it's uh, it's vinegar. Yep. I guess it is, but it's quite common in Flanders reds and stuff. But it's a flavour I really don't get oh, on with it. It's not nice. See, I really, I really like those. I remember the first time I had a, a Flanders red, and I was like, "This is just like drinking vinegar." And I, this is—I don't know even why I'm, I'm publicly confessing this on my podcast. Until this point, only my. My family know this, but when I when I was a kid, I used to eat vinegar sandwiches. I'd literally like go to my auntie's house where I had free reign over this kind of thing, um, and I wasn't pulled upon it as much. And I'd get like a slice of bread and just like proper like douse it in vinegar till it was like soggy and dripping, and eat it. Oh man, that's... 
that's like a step beyond ketchup. Yes, yeah, so, I appreciate it happens, but yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, yeah, no wonder I like Flanders Reds. It maybe evokes those kind of uh, special memories, shall we say, from a special. It, child. it doesn't produce any of that, so uh, <laughs> oh, it, it's going to be no good for your bread. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's oh dear. Right, moving swiftly on. So, um. I know, um, obviously, when, when people are using different bacterias that aren't Saccharomyces cerevisiae or, um, I can never pronounce, Saccharomyces Carlsberg, again, how do you pronounce that? Oh, God knows. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, the lager straight, so, the lager so, one. I mean, it's, actually, it's actually not valid anymore, so just say Pastorianus. There, like, there we go, Pastorianus. Say, yeah. <laughs> um, but, when you know, t- traditional ale and yeast strains, I could have just said that, couldn't I? And I've shown myself twice now on my own podcast. Um, but, like, uh, you know, when, when people are using those, obviously, you know, it can strike some nervousness in people putting um, wild, wild bugs into their brewery. Like, how do they get around that with this? Do they still have to treat it the same with different hoses and all that or it's actually it's pretty safe so i mean if you look at saccharomyces cerevisiae and, and saccharomyces pastorianus they've been genetically selected to be really really good at um fermenting work for you know a long long time mm. i was going to say millennia but it's not millennia it's like thousands of years um so they're very um well adapted to like a brewery environment um with the lahansia species so the philly sours and lahansia uh, it's more of a wild strain, right? It was isolated from an oak tree in a graveyard. So it's not um, really well adapted to a, a brewery fermentation. Mm. You know, it's it's able to create lactic acid and it ferments all the sugars in a brewery work, but certainly not to the same efficiency as uh, a standard brewing yeast or a, or a large yeast or an ale yeast. Um, so it grows quite slowly, um, doesn't form spores, um, and it only grows at like a slightly elevated temperature. So up to like 25, 27, it quite likes. Um, so if you were ever to have a problem with it, and you wouldn't because it, it dies as easily as any other brewing yeast, um, it would probably be outcompeted by the brewing yeast that you were using anyway. Um, yeah. And the lactic acid that it produces, it can only produce from uh, glucose, which is one of the sugars in the brewery work, but only work makes up about 15% of the sugar in the brewery work. Um, and it's also the first sugar that regular brewers yeast eat. So if you had your, your Philly Sour versus your, your brewer's yeast and you had a little bit of glucose there at the start of fermentation, you're probably not going to get any lactic acid production because the the fitty sour will be roundly beaten up by the uh, the yeah. Wow, so that's really interesting. Um, I mean, yeast is just a whole of world, isn't it? And, and and what happens in there? So, um, yeah. So, how, how can listeners try it out? Where can they get it from? And yeah, so if you check out uh, the section on our website for our distributors, um, you can see uh, who we use in in each country around the world for distributing our products. So just get in touch with them and they should be able to help you out with getting some fillies out. Amazing. Well, as ever, it's fantastic to have Andrew on the show to share about the different yeast strains that Lalaman Brewing offer. Make sure you check out Lalaman Brewing. I use their yeast in my beer. They're fantastic yeast to work with. On the next podcast, I've probably got the best guest to date. It's different, that's for sure. But hopefully it'll be an incredibly insightful episode. So stay tuned for that. I hope I'm not setting this up for some kind of like massive expectation bomb. <laughs> you have to stay tuned. I'm hoping to drop the episode between Crimbo and New Year, after which I'll be taking a short break from the show to recharge the batteries, revision myself before getting back to it in early 2022. So all that's left to say, I guess, is until then, have a great Christmas, stay safe and all that jazz. Don't eat yellow snow. And 
is you can, <laughs> it's such a professional podcast, I'm telling you. And here's how you can find out more about the Hot Four podcast and our supplier sponsors. Not only is Hot Forward a brewing industry dedicated podcast, but we also provide creative media solutions and consultancy for companies and people who are looking to get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hot Forward works with a range of diverse enterprises from across the world of beer to provide branding and marketing consultancy, brewing and business advice, and bespoke creative solutions to help you hot rocket your way to success. Check out hotforward.beer for more info or connect with us on social media at Hot Forward Beers. Finally, don't forget to thank our sponsors who make this show possible on a weekly basis. This week's episode of the Hot Forward podcast is proudly sponsored by Lalaman Brewing. Lalaman Brewing, a division of Lalaman Inc., a global producer of yeast and bacteria, is helping brewers achieve their growth and quality goals by offering products, services, and education. Lalaman Brewing's premium brewing yeast and bacteria deliver unmatched consistency, reliability and purity, allowing brewers to take full control of the brewing process. At the forefront of innovation, Lalaman Brewing recently launched several dry yeast products, Lal Brew Voss, Wild Brew Philly Sour and Lal Brew Verdant IPA. I personally use Lalaman yeast when brewing Emmanuel's and have been over the moon with their Verdant IPA yeast, not just in IPAs, but also in ESBs and a variety of other beers. It gives a lovely distinct flavor, attenuates well, and is just excellent to brew with. So for more information about Lalaman's products in the UK, please contact the local representative, Andrew Patterson. Global contact details for the UK and other territories can be found via their website, lalaman.com. That's lalaman.com. Today's show is also sponsored by Chris Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Ryber in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25 kilo sacks for craft brewers and distillers around the world. Check out their website for more information for their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at chrismalt.com. That's chrismalt.com. For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. Today on the Hot Four Podcast, I'm joined by Lucy Clayton-Jones from Double Barreled in Reading. Hello. Hello, morning. How- oh, whatever time of day it is. <laughs> late, late one last night, was it? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you were just saying before we hit record that you were at the Brewers Congress. Yes, I, I must admit. So it was actually the Tuesday night, the, the award ceremony where I went a little bit too hard. Right. Uh, and the um, I've you know, reached that point in my life now where um, the impact is still following on to Thursday. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I was completely sober yesterday, but um, yeah, still feeling that Tuesday evening recklessness. So it's amazing, isn't it? I remember when I was at college, I used to go to Barnsley College and, um, you know, we'd go out to the nightclub until 3am. I'd sleep on my mate's settee, which was just the most uncomfortable thing in the world ever. And then I'd dust it off the next day with like a sausage sandwich and like, I wouldn't feel any the worse for it. If I did that now, I'd be like in bed for a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't, it's, it's sort of like the impact of like, oh, okay, cool. Right. Well, you know, you still, like I used to be able to, yeah, certainly in my twenties, I, I used to go out and we used to go out on a Sunday 
and like day drinking and then sort of then you know I'd sort of cruise into work on the Monday and being like oh this is completely you know acceptable <laughs> I'm looking back I was like a, that wasn't really acceptable. <laughs> and B, you know, how, how on earth did you then survive a whole week at work? Um, yeah, because, uh, yeah, there, there we are. There it's we insane, are. isn't it? Cool. Well, um, it's great to have you on the show. <laughs> so um, just for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about Double Barreled in your journey? Because I was, I was, to be honest with you, I, I didn't know too much until I went on your website. And I have to say, because I've I, I gone on a lot of breweries' websites to do research and stuff, yours is one of the most informative ones out there. Like, there's, you, you wouldn't believe how many webs, brewers' websites don't have, like, some of the fundamental information and backstory behind their brew, whereas you guys do and I thought it was really interesting so I just I'd love to know a bit about the brewery and the setup you've got and then talk me through the history of how it came to be yeah sure um so where we're at at the moment is so we uh brew um we're based in Reading we brew on a uh 24 hectolitre kit we've got six SVs but soon to be 10 in January um and yeah we've been going for just over three years um on this site um, and it's um, Double Barrels run by myself and my husband, Mike. Um, and now we have a lovely team of people who uh, support us along the way. Um, but initially we sort of started out as a, a very small concept in our, our garage. Um, but prior to that, the sort of the, the background history was um, Mike was a keen home brewer. Um, and when we got engaged, we decided to do um, a home brew for our sort of our wedding. And I was taking his double barreled surname, which, you know, he doesn't really like having double barreled surnames. It was a bit of a joke. Um, so we called ourselves like Double Barrel Brewery. Um, and then it just, we sort of love working together. I mean, that homebrew was terrible, by the way. Like you know, <laughs> everything about it was like, the label was bad. <laughs> um, but, you know, we actually really love working together um, and kind of having that opportunity to sort of actually mix kind of our skill sets a little bit um, and and decided that, you know, that it was, was something we, want, we really wanted to do. Um, and kind of, we were in very um, normal corporate jobs um so the the idea of kind of moving into beer was very appealing um mm. at that stage so that's kind of the very initial grounding of, of where we're where, where we're from all right okay so when when because you also say on your website that you went traveling across the usa i mean yes. you guys are living the dream there because it's like that's one, one of my dreams is to to do just that to go across america and just like visit loads of different breweries and and you know places to eat and stuff so can you just talk about that and and how you felt that informs what you want a double barrel to be yeah sure so um so probably uh post post wedding um having like sort of discussed that we we worked out that you know if we wanted to do it we wanted to bring a neither of us were working in beer so we wanted to bring kind of a bit of um, a something new to the market, something that maybe wasn't really happening in the UK, um, and also something that just get lots of different inspiration and literally just do as much research as we could. Um, and we just kind of come to a bit of a, a point in like our careers and like just life stuff going on that you know life's too short to uh, if you can get an opportunity to do something, you should do it. So um, we. Um, had the opportunity to sort of go traveling for a bit and we decided that um, we were going to start off with sort of six weeks in Europe um, and then you know it became sort of fairly obvious that this was a bit of a once in a lifetime kind of opportunity um, and 
suddenly this became an uh, 11 months of, of traveling um sort of doing it you know really kind of backpacking and hostels and you know on on the cheap mm. but really focused where we were going around beer um and or kind of wine or spirits so everywhere we went um was there was some reason we were there kind of unless it fit perfectly within to our route that that was something where we could not um like grow our knowledge and understanding uh, about the industry really and for me you know, I mean, obviously telling our friends and family we were doing this and it was a business trip was like most laughable thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we kind of did it and it, what, what it allowed us to do is that we blogged along the way, got people kind of following us maybe sort of whilst we were still doing doing this. Um, not that blog writing is any, any skill set of mine, um, but kind of, and also just like gave us this huge opportunity to discover kind of what's big elsewhere in the world. So, um, obviously going back to like sort of the the hit the places with a lot of beer brewing history like Germany um discovering kind of like emerging markets like um South Korea um and um, Hong Kong and Japan um just understanding kind of what was going on there but then also a he- heck of a lot of time spent three months in the states and um that was just it was such an amazing learning experience and did really kind of shape who we were so when we went we were like oh I don't know you know we when we when we left the UK it was very much like we could return and you know open a bottle shop or a pub or a bar or a brewery um you know what what about this industry does gets us excited and I think for us when we kind of spent quite a lot of time in the states seeing their amazing kind of taproom models um, it was, you know, something we really wanted to bring back to the UK and something that kind of Reading was crying out for. Um, and but I suppose the the knock on consequences of that all and all that travel is that different markets have it as their own um, strengths and weaknesses. So the rent is a lot cheaper in the States than it is in the UK. Um, and. We also, we kind of they have quite a different beer market in the way that they sort of they can they're sort of restricted to state boundaries. So things like your kind of more um, hype barrel aged stouts and and things ha- tend to have a sort of more um, I don't know demand for, because people there's like sort of short supply etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and so we when we came back from traveling, we were like, oh right, we're gonna. We're going to open a long-term plan is to open a taproom model, but we're going to really focus on two beers that we just love drinking out there, which was um, stouts and sours. Um, and we started in our garage and that was great. You know, there was no, no overheads. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, and also one of the other things that we'd been told through all of that travel was kind of to, you know, go, if you're going to open a brewery and you're going to build your brewery, get, the biggest kind of space you could afford and then grow into that because it's really hard to move once you've set up. Um, and when we were looking at units um, to do to move from our garage, we um, were very much of that mindset. And uh, the problem was, is obviously we were doing that with no idea that after like a year and three months, we were going to be hit with a, a global pandemic. Um and that suddenly having quite a large space, like whilst it was good for ventilation, it wasn't (laughs) (laughs) quite what we wanted. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, 
I think what you just described there, uh, not just the pandemic thing, we'll come on to that um, and how that's affected you, but um, I, I think what you touched upon there is there's, there's a lot of um, newer breweries. I was talking to um, Steve from Vault City a couple of episodes back and he was saying how, um, you know, breweries like his and by the sounds of it, yours are kind of like a part of the, you can't use the word wave anymore without people thinking about the pandemic and coronavirus, but like you're part of the third wave of new breweries in yeah. the UK. Um, so I, I guess, and there are still breweries, I mean, I work with some of them in a consultancy capacity and, um, and I, you know, just chatting to people, generally speaking online, but there are still people who are looking to, um, you know, do what you guys have just done. Um, so I'd, I'd love for you to just talk through some of the logistics of how, like, um, you, you took brewing from your garage, like I said, where there's no overhead. And I'm in a similar position. I've got like a, a, a it's like one US barrel um, kit in my cellar where there's no overhead, um, but I need to move that out at some point. And I think that, you know, like I said, through conversations, I know, I know there are people in that position that are, you know, getting some traction and wanting to upscale. So just to talk me through those different stages of your business, like the how how you practically go from brewing, what were you doing, like 100 litres at the time or something? Yeah, yeah 100 litres yeah, yeah. to then, what did you move up to? Was it like, did you get, go instantaneously up to 24 hectolitres? Or yeah. you did? Oh, wow. Okay, so, so just, <laughs> just talk through the logistics of that process because it's like, you know, how you finance it and how you choose the space and all the rest of it. Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. Um, so... The, uh, we had a um, 120 litre kit um, from Elite Stainless um, and we had two FVs in our garage. So we kind of went through, so the garage we were allowed us to do was when we came back from travelling, we got just jobs, you know, so Mike was working as a dray, I was working in a bar, um, you know, kind of just to, to keep money coming in whilst we knew kind of our longer term focus was, was going to be the brewery. Um, and what we wanted to do is really test the concept outside of our family and friends, because that, you know, that's all, it's all well and good. Um, you know, your friends and family will often give you lots of positive feedback. Yep. Um, but it's, you know, actually getting in there to a, a, a you know, a pretty competitive market. Um, and, and are you, are we actually able to upgrade ourselves from homebrew? I suppose is probably a, um, a scary factor for anyone who's starting on, on homebrew is how you actually make that kind of stand out commercially. Um, so we, what we did was um, after a bit of like, you know, recipe development, trying lots of different things, we then registered our, our garage for, um, to be able to um, sell wholesale um, sell um, uh, as well as um, doing all of the stuff like EHO um, all of that kind of practicality um, paperwork side of things got registered with HMRC to pay beer duty. Um, and the first thing we did kind of coming out was um, it ended up sort of hitting timing wise was uh, Craft Beer Rising Festival 2018, it would have been. Mm -hmm. um, and what, the reason we did that, so you, you can kind of pay to do that festival and it's a lot, a lot of money. Um, and But we just we knew that that what was good beneficial for us about that festival is that there's two sessions which is dedicated to the trade um so you know this was a, a, ch a chance for our beer to get into front of buyers that we'd have no way of sort of speaking to without small pack and etc 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 um so 
we we did it and to be honest we got amazing feedback um from people who i for all intents and purposes like shouldn't have known who we were you know in our garage at the time so you know i remember uh, you know, Melissa Cole came up to speak to us, Emma Inch. Um, we had Pete Brown saying we were one to watch. Um, you know, and it was like flipping Nora. These are like, these are the people that you kind <laughs> yeah. of want to, to recognise. And then we also had, you know, I, I remember um, the the Waitrose buyer for beer, wine and spirits. She was like dragged over to our stand because we had a, a raspberry and beetroot gozer that, you know, one of their, her team was like, you need to try this. And um, not that, I mean, and at this point, we're like, we're not a garage. Like, <laughs> what on earth? Um, but it was really, what well, I suppose what that did and what that made us, you know, suddenly have all this kind of belief in ourselves because, you know, these people knew what they were talking about, about beer. Um, and these weren't just our friends and family. We were all new to these people. Like, you know, we had a little sign on our stand that said, you know, launching here. <laughs> and, and and people are like, well, who are you? I've never heard of you. It's like, well, because it's because we're in our garage and this is the first time our beer's poured anywhere. Um and yeah, the feedback was really good and it did it did make and also feedback from other breweries. That's what's really nice about those things. So I remember specifically like um Jimmy at Unity was really complimentary and we were quite close to Sam from Boxcar and then that like developed in them for a friendship. So um, it would just, yeah, I think it, it just gave us this like, right, actually this works, the branding works, the beer works, like you, you've got this something in this. Um, so we sort of trundled on looking for somewhere to go, uh, how to somewhere to house a brewery. Um, and Mike's background, um, he was like a logistics consultant. So he spent quite a lot of time um prior to that what he would be given a project that would be like right this 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 business is moving sites you know, you'd need to plan out what their future logistics uh, operation and, and warehouse would need to be based on this plan for scale up um so he was like well this is like basically project <laughs> personal project for him um of knowing kind of what what we'd need where we would want to be um and yeah, so we well that made us sort of think right. We probably want to be on a unit if we want to incorporate a taproom space, warehouse space. You know, it's not just a brewery. Um, you know, like that actually at the moment doesn't. It only takes up a small proportion of kind of our total unit. Um, what what sort of size do we want to be? And we were sort of looking between four thousand and six thousand square foot. Mm. Um, and I think. For us, it was like, again, having spoken to so many people prior to that, trying to figure out what size was the best is that, you know, a lot of people we'd maybe spoken to who'd gone like the five barrel route or the 10 barrel route were very much kind of already at capacity and going, I can't then move up to, to the next scale because then I've got to reinvest again. Um, and for us, it was a kind of case of like, right, we're going to, if we're going to do this, we'll do it once and we'll grow into it. And that will push really hard and it will, it will work. It'll be fine. Um, <laughs> and uh, we did that. I think yeah, if I'm being like perfectly honest, I'm not saying that what we have is the right model by any means, because we, if we could have been on a, uh, a, a size, a much smaller size, over the last couple of years, it would have really, really helped. Um, and I think it's probably where we've got to at this point is that the business is 
the bruise has to be bigger for it to work out in financially. Mm. Like we still haven't made a profit yet. And um, there's a, you can't sustain that funny enough. Um, you know, like if you're not breaking even, then the business is not going to be there. And we could have done with sort of going through that journey and then maybe looking at how you grow without like, you know, I things that I would never have necessarily considered of, you know, taking on additional, additional investors or, or, you know, I don't know, I don't know what, um, but I think for us, we kind of thought that, I think we were quite quite small minded, um, naive about what we what our options were, what how we could grow down the line. You know, whilst you, we spent a lot of time travelling, speaking to people, you don't actually sit down with their like profit and loss and kind of go <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> this would be really useful to kind of understand what your cost structure was and all of the unexpected overheads you have of running a site like this or taking on additional people. You know, it's not just their salary; it's it's their their pension, their pay pay away. It's it's there's there's lots of different things that then mean that the numbers that we had whilst we were in our garage on a spreadsheet didn't actually stack up quite as as nicely as I would have liked. Um, yeah, I mean they always be, say they always say that you should um, you know once you've projected your figures um, you should like add another third onto it. And then, um, you know, you'll be within the right ballpark. Um, I mean, I am quite interested. How did you manage to finance it going from a um, like a 120 litre kit in your garage to 24 hectolitre? Because I can see how a lot of breweries, when they upscale to, I don't know, even like from home brewing, you know, like 30 litre batches to two and a half barrel or even five barrel, you know, people bootstrap or use savings and stuff. But that, that's quite a, to go to a brew house of that size from your garage is quite a significant investment, and particularly in a big unit like you've just described. So like, if how, how did you finance that? And how did you do the research into how much that would cost? Um. So, so as I mentioned before, we, um, Life's a bit too short. So um, I suddenly lost my mum in 2014 um, and uh, that changed a lot of our perspectives on life. And as a consequence of that, I also unexpectedly um, inherited some money. Um, and we were in a situation where we had money and we had, you know, we, we had a house. You know, we already had like our own personal savings. We didn't really like, I don't know, it, it's a really weird situation to be in, I suppose. Um, but and then this sort of felt like a really nice way of putting something back in and kind of, I suppose I'd like to think of it as trying to earn the money for yourselves back again. Yep. Um, so we used that to sort of fund the, the growth. Um, and I suppose, and, and, and the travel. Um, but I suppose in that, in that sense, we never wanted to do it where, we were just riding off of that. You know, it has to make commercial sense yeah. at the end of the day. Um, and the the struggles that we've had along the way of like, you know, setting that budget. So from a from a budgeting perspective, we worked out what our cost of our kit was. We worked out what the cost of all of the, you know, reset, because we had to move. So the, the what this building used to be was a um, car garage, so you can imagine it wasn't quite set up for the brewery. So we had to do a lot of stuff like um, relocating all of the utilities. We had to build what our tap room is. Um, and 
and, and also, but I suppose there were so many costs that just I don't think I could have thought about or budgeted for. Um, just maybe because we just didn't necessarily have. So, take a perfect example is that we set up our tap room. We have a really nice space for our tap room because that's what we sort of wanted to. You know, be able to provide as a nice space with like seats with backs and um, all these things. And when we started, we hadn't kind of considered the fact that you need to put some lights in it that aren't going to be like overhead warehouse yeah. strip. And <laughs> um, so, if you want people to have like a cozy drink on a you know on a, on a Saturday night at seven pm, you don't want either your like your school disco full lights on. Or, or whatever and so suddenly you kind of go well how do you like sort of a you know intimately light a warehouse space so we we now have like these like hanging overhead lights which really helped bring like the, the sort of seating down make it feel cozier it also allows us to hang heaters off of there but i yeah you know, i had no scrap of a budget for that because in my head i you know we were all just providing the space and i didn't think about how it was going to be lit consequently and i think along the way we also you know, again, here's our naivety. Um, we didn't, we thought, well, Mike and I can do everything. We, we've done everything in our brewery. We've done the brewing, the accounts, the packaging. You know, it, we won't need people to help. Um, and so for quite too long, we, we um, st- kept, kept that mantra up, realising now that you can't actually grow. You know, yes, you can physically do all the packaging yourselves, do the that do the deliveries yourselves, do the accounts, do running the business, but you, you, you can't, the business will just stay at this weird size where you're not actually kind of progressing. You're kind of going around. So it took us a while to take, take the, what not, like looking back felt like additional leaps um, into kind of um, jumping on to like every new member of the team we, we added just, you know, was like another leap because for for me, it's like that's somebody who's paying their their own like rent or mm. their mortgage or they have a family to support. So like, you know, we've taken this risk as as Mike and I, and you know, but these other people kind of want a nice stable job, and and we have to provide that with for them. And also the other impacts of like, you know, we want to provide a nice place to work. You know that has all the right health and safety requirements and has, um, you know, a good, good, good practices as a, as a business start off well, which we kind of, you know, from our backgrounds, we, we knew kind of how to do. Um, but then there's all the association costs and, and, um, and everything. So for us, it, you know, I've sort of, <laughs> I think a lot of people look, Oh, you're doing really well. And I, and I think, well, there's a million things I would do differently. Um, a million things because, I don't think there's anyone who wouldn't say that who started their own brewery, who kind of actually like the practicalities of, of your plan is is never going to be perfect because there's always something that's going to kind of, you know, stump you about what, what, what you've, what you've planned out. Um, and so whilst we could get all of the quotes in advance for, you know, your 24 head to lead to kit, do all of the forecasts for okay. So if we, so one of the things we were told was like, how do you, um, cause we sat there with a spreadsheet going, well, how on earth do you know how much beer you're going to sell? You know, like, and what price are you going to sell it at? And one of the things that we had done in our garage was 
we'd made sure that we priced our beer when we were selling to pubs at that stage. We priced it that we didn't necessarily have to put a huge price increase in when we went to the to a future site. And that was actually one of the hardest pit parts because you're going, well, I've got no idea what I'll need to charge then. But looking at our costs, what our expected overheads are going to be, and looking also at the market, we need we know we need to pitch a PLL at, you know, 100 quid per keg or whatever it is, rather than what we could have charged in our garage, which would have been a lot less, but also provided an unrealistic expectation of what we would be priced at. Um, so yeah, all of our spreadsheets they kind of made made sense to and our forecasts. We, we did what we did was we looked at kind of okay so if we've got four 24 heck fvs to start we maybe expect like the first year we'd be at like 50 percent yield of that and so what would be the expected turnover of that um and then the the, the knock-on impact on cost of goods but i suppose what you have no idea of at that time is that you know, when we first started, we were using them that can. And, um, you know, so then suddenly we had cans in this equation and we're not just talking about kegs, but the sort of logistics of them that can meant that you couldn't necessarily get them when you needed them. So sometimes we had cans, sometimes we didn't have cans. And then, you know, and and how on earth you put all that into a a spreadsheet. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's sort of this never ending um, cycle. And even now, you know, we're still, we're still kind of, the, the unexpected costs are the things that are, you know, just going to like, you know, keep you up at night, to be honest, because there's, the, in, to some extent, the easiest thing we did was start because that was probably where the where the big costs and the things that we knew were coming, were coming. Um, and yeah, that that's kind of where we are. But in terms of, this is a very long chat, um, in terms of kind of how we would, looking back, well, if I knew what I knew, knew now, what if I knew now, if I knew now what I knew then, knew then. Yeah, I knew what you were trying to say. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why it was so hard. Um, I think you know we sort of looked at financing options at first, and it's really, really blooming hard to get anything if you've not been going for more than three years. Um, there's there's very little options available to you. Um, and I, but I think probably what now I would be looking at is like how at this stage, what our expectations are. So I would have probably, you know, started smaller with the understanding that, okay, maybe after three years, if you've got your proven business model, then you can get, you know, if, if my fear was that we wouldn't be able to get, like, we wouldn't be able to invest in a bigger kit or a newer site at another t- start stage that actually, after three years, if the business model works, you you might you most likely will be able to, you know, get some external financing, and that would have kind of helped um, to say to say the least. Yeah, um, I, I think, think um, Mike and I was just so excited, you know, like we'll start now. Yeah, <laughs> I think um, spreadsheets are uh, they're a double edged sword, really, because I think you know, it, it, I mean, I do love a good spreadsheet. But they they equally for for the information they can provide and give you an idea, um, you know, and 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 give you a, a hefty dose of reality. Um, you can you can also find on the flip side, like you you can undersell yourself almost. So I, I remember when so I I used to work for the Sheffield Brewery Company um, for a while, and I remember it was the start of 2018. I was thinking, I you know, I really want to get my 
brand, Emmanuel's going. And I was, I had a, a bit of a setup there where I, I was, I was working with them as the the head brewer and the the brewery manager and just about everything else. Um, but I had an agreement where I could brew my beers on site on their kit, and basically, you know, they they'd take the income from it, so I could upscale my brand and and get a load of experience. Um, which which worked for a while, but I was like, you know, I want to take my brand forward now. And I went, you know, looking at the railway archers in Sheffield and all the rest of it, and I was going to contract brew. But then, you know, when you sat with the spreadsheet, you're like, well, what if I don't sell that much, you know? And like, uh, um, unfortunately, you know, at the time, um, Sheffield Brewery in in lots of ways were were struggling. Um, It was mostly a cask uh, producing brewery. And there was a lot of cast beer in Sheffield. So, um, you know, we, we had to think on our toes quite a lot to sell more. Um, you know, and I think I probably did myself a disservice thinking about, um, you know, putting this spreadsheet together in January and looking at the, and trying to do a like for like comparison between the two brands, which are completely different and produced completely types of beer and thinking, oh, I'm, I'm, well, if I'll have to sell like loads. Because I might, and I might not be able to sell loads because of, you know, doing this comparison. And actually I've, I've found since, you know, anything but that, you know, I I get a lot of support for what I'm doing. Um, And I kind of wish in hindsight, I wouldn't have looked at the spreadsheet so much to think, oh, maybe this isn't going to do so well. And you can tie, and it's, again, just off riffing off what you said, it's like, a business is a living, breathing thing. So it's, it's, I do think you should have a plan and work your plan. But on the other hand, it's kind of like you can't project into the future, like as you said, with the pandemic, you know, who can project for that kind of thing? Yeah, I think it's, it's, I think the, the probably one of the kind of harsh realities of our scale at where we are now is that, you know, we are a manufacturing business and a hospitality business in one. And, you know, it's a lot. Whereas actually probably when you've come certainly from a homebrew background or you've got your own small kit, you you want to be a brewery. You are a brewery and that's, you know, Mike wants to brew and create his recipes. And um, and, and now we're, we're at this kind of scale where we're not like, I'm now like running a company, you know, and not, doesn't feel like I've not helped out in the brewery for a long time, you know, and that's, that you sort of lose a little bit of kind of touch with mm. it. And I suppose that's why I sort of feel like it's, it, to some extent, this business has kind of run away with us a little bit. <laughs> it's, I don't know. It just, uh, I think it, I think it's really hard sometimes to sit down to yourself and say, what do you, what do you really want from this? Um, you know, do you want to run a business? Do you, or do you want to have a brewery or do you want to just have the ability to like, get your beer out and, and have that. Yeah, we we were doing some really cool things. You know, we did a Mother Kelly's tap takeover whilst we were still in our garage. You know, that's absolutely bonkers. You know, we <laughs> we did that and, you know, that, but that was so much, you know, in that situation, we did, you know, Mike did the recipes, we, we you know, brewed the beer, we delivered the beer, we went to tap takeover. We, we got to do everything as a part of that. And now we're in a situation that, you know, might might still write the recipes, but it would be somebody else brewing a beer, somebody else delivering a beer, probably somebody else going to tap takeover, and that yeah, I don't know. That's it would if we uh, if we could look back and go, well, what what do you actually want out of this? It's um, 
think you, it's, it's quite hard to predict what you're going to want in five years' time. Yeah, it's yeah. Do you know, I've been thinking through that a lot recently um, with with my own business, and you know, because I was I was chomping at the bit so much for so many years to you know I, I want to work for myself and so on, and there are so many great things that come with working for yourself, but you can't really explain the reality until you do, you know, and it, it it's forced me to think, um, you know, with, with hot forward and with Emmanuel, it's like, well, what do I actually really want? You know? And I think a, a lot of people do go into business and they don't have an answer to that question. You know, that, that you get, you can get so fixated on like, I want to start a brewery. I want to start a bakery whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's possibly, it's only with the benefit of hindsight, you can think, oh, actually, maybe I don't want to, like, well, I'll give a real life example for myself. Like, I, if, if it had been down to me, I would have um, started a, a 10 barrel or even up to like a, you know, 30 hectolitre brewery. It'd have been, you know, big and blah, 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 and so on. Um, but I, I would have been in the position you just described where I'd be running a, a business and I wouldn't have that much hand in the brewing. And the thing I really like is brewing. And and um, I don't know if you know um, Dan and Martha from St. Martin of the Desert in Sheffield. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. like, you know, their, their story's um, a, a classic example. And just for the benefit of our listeners, go back and listen to that episode I did with Dan from whenever it was, a couple of years back. But, you know, they they had Pretty Things Beer and Ale Project, which was huge, you know, and although, albeit a, like a gypsy cuckoo brewery, you know, it was it, it was turning over a lot of cash. And I think when they left the States and started traveling, you know, it made them reassess, well, what do we really want? And now, now you know, they've just got a, a 10 hectolitre brewery with tap room and there's um, Dan and Martha and um, I want to say Steph, but it might not be Steph. Um, you know, and, and, and they set up intentionally like that because it's like, well, you, you know, it's more of a kind of like a lifestyle business, isn't it? Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a real, it's, I think it's a really hard balance to to find because obviously Mike and I wanted this like to provide us with a income, you know, like we wanted this to be like kind of want to do that. And, and we did really enjoy working together. So kind of having it as an option of maybe we one of us staying a job and the other one doesn't and sort of balancing that way would have probably been a better option. But ultimately we we kind of wanted to, it was our dream to do it together. Um, and I'm, I'm sound, I think probably sound quite negative about it all, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't really change what we've done, you know, like in, in our heart of hearts, there's absolutely no way I'd rather be, you know, a, a desk job and accountant or and, something. Yeah. yeah, yeah like that, that's not, it's not, um, it's not that bad. <laughs> I think it's just more that, you know, knowing kind of where your, your listener base kind of comes from, there, there, you did like that kind of. I, I remember when we were we were planning um, this. Or I, we spoke to Andy Parker from Elusive, yep. and he said you're absolutely mad. And I I wish I'd like listen to him <laughs> a little bit more. Um, and he's like, you know, obviously a lovely guy and a great supporter of ours. Um, but, you know, I understand more now what he was saying. And I suppose there's probably I've been I've been drafting. So when I when we first started, I wrote a couple of blogs around like what we did to start. So how we started in our garage, what 
how we what our plans were for the new site and how we how we were scaling up. And I've got about three or four different drafts of the, the follow-up blog to that of you know three years on however many years on of this is what I've learned in hindsight and to say to some extent I've not posted it because it sounds so negative um but also because the, everybody's learning is going to be different and everyone's situation is going to be different you know we we didn't necessarily um I think we were very naive into so what what running a 24 hectare brewery actually looked like and and you know that we couldn't yes we we were passionate and we wanted to do everything but we can't physically do everything mm. and because we had a tap room you know that meant that when we you know finished the the manufacturing side of our business we went straight into the hospitality side and the consequences of having a tap room and wanting to to work the tap room ourselves was that a obviously our, our weeks were i mean god knows how many hours we wrapped up but you know that's that's kind of by the by for starting your own business but it was more that then that stops us from being able to to some extent to grow the other side of the business because we weren't able to go to festivals because we didn't have the people to work the tap room and we always wanted to have a tap room it was kind of always like you know if it's open if we say we're open on saturday we're always open every saturday um and i think that actually kind of hindered our growth in many ways mm. despite that it was very beneficial for us because it kept cash coming into the business um when when you know obviously with trade it's 30 day terms if you're lucky when they pay you know if they if they pay you on time um so you know from that perspective it was great but yeah it's um i, I yeah i think there's what we, we what we've created is amazing and I, I think sometimes it's very easy to to be sort of like oh well I've done this better and w- whatever but I mean ultimately we 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 are still growing you know that's that's fantastic um and we're growing despite a pandemic so you know from a from that perspective you know you kind of go well actually if the world was a bit more normal we could be um in a very different position um I, I looked back recently over our like business plan that we must have wrote, written sort of four and a half years ago, four years ago. Um, we actually and 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 a lot of what we set out to do was is is right, it, and, and we stuck to kind of what we we dreamt of. Um, I suppose the biggest thing was you know trying to to come to market focused on what ultimately are niche products in the UK over sour and stout that. You know, probably we we are going to need a a pale and IPA and a um, a lager to sort of to pay for a, a unit this big. Um, if we were in a smaller site, we could have focused on that maybe a little bit more. Um, and I suppose, yeah, probably I would have loved to sat down with ourselves now and, and sort of asked ourselves more of those questions. Okay, well, what what do you really really want? Is this um, and, and where do you want to be? And I suppose our what we have wanted from this has changed, and I think it's also changed in the last year for me. You know, I've my my headspace of where we want to take Double Barreled has has changed, um, not in a bad way, just just in a more like, you know, we've got a great team of people behind us now. We we support you know um, twelve people's incomes. You know, that's bonkers. Like, you know, we kind of it's not about us anymore. It's mm. about, it's about a team. It's about the impact on them. It's about, 
the local community that we work, you know, we, we sit within and the, um, the benefits of having us around for them. And like, it's become such, such a bigger beast than just two people who had a dream about kind of doing this together. It's, it's like, there's a lot more people involved, a lot more little stakeholders who kind of, yeah, who all have a huge impact on your, your hopes and dreams and um, that you could have never planned for when it was just the two of you and you didn't know these people yeah, <laughs> and, and you know, didn't know where you sort of wanted to go. So, yeah. Mm, I guess that's the thing with having a limited company, isn't it? Um, you know, it's because it's a legal entity, it exists outside of you. Um, and when it's just, you know, when it's just you running a business or one or two of you, you know, it's, it's still, even if it is limited company, you've still got a mindset that you are the business. And and in many ways you are like, you know, with my business, like it's a limited company, but it's just a company of one. And and I am the employee and director and everything else. So it's kind of like, it is very much attached to me, but to, to keep myself sane, I have to remember that hop forward for in this example is a limited company. It's something that exists apart from me. And I, I guess when you get to, you know, like your size, when you've got, um, you know, a, a small to sort of mid-sized team, um, you know, like double barrel brewery limited is like a thing in and of itself. Um, so I think that's a really good thing, like for the employees, cause it's like, they don't feel the pressure of having to, the, the allegiance and the pressures to the company, although it is to you guys, obviously as the owners and stuff, it's 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 kind of it exists. You're all in it together in the same boat, the double barrel boat, rather than the sort of Lucy and Mike boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think that's that's quite a, a, a you know certainly in our first taking our first team members, we I think we struggled a little bit with that because you know like it's been every everything was like you know our thing we made every decision we made you know everything was approved by us and you know to actually help your team grow you need to give them more accountability and you can't have like um you just going right <laughs> send me everything that you're doing um and also like mike's really struggled it because you know he's come he wants to brew he wants to write the recipes he wants to do that but he's also now got to this point of going there are better brewers out there and therefore, you know, you also have to learn your own skill set. And, um, you know, we, we have to kind of now allow, let ourselves kind of relinquish some of the stuff that we, we might love doing, but because actually it's better for double barreled. Um, and mm-hmm. I suppose that that's maybe quite, quite hard when you come from it from a passion side, like we've not, we're not, we're not, we never set this up going like, Oh, what we want is a business. that's going to make us loads of money. You know, when everybody knows you wouldn't do a bloody brewery. If you <laughs> <do that. laughs> um, so, you know, like for us, you know, it was that, it, that passion drove it. And now we're in a situation where you're kind of going, well, I can't necessarily do my passion as much, but, what we can do is create a a great place for people who are passionate about it to work, um, to kind of follow our values and um, and to to do that and sort of show as you know as a business that we can do it right. And and I suppose that's probably where my mindset has changed is that it's it's definitely not about Mike and I anymore. And it, it, even from that extension, you're like kind of God. Why do we call ourselves bloody double barreled? You know that. 
that's it's a really long word like it's like you know it's you know it doesn't we because in the time when you're a was doing it for our wedding but b when we came back from traveling was was like oh well we're gonna we want to just do some really amazing double barrel aged stouts you know we're gonna that's gonna be our niche and then now you go well from a cash perspective well we can't afford to brew a bunch of really expensive beer and put into barrels for a year and make that whole kind of thing as much as that is actually ultimately what Mike wants this to be about so I think maybe long term and I suppose that it is maybe what we have done is kind of created that long-term dream is that at some point we would have grown the business to a point where we can afford to brew the barrel aged stouts and do some wacky things that you at this stage of our business we can't do because we're too concerned about cash flow and the market and sell for a stock so at some point we we will get to it, and actually we just have to be patient and we have to grow it. And um, yeah, so maybe it'll all come. Let's let's talk again in a few years. Time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you, when, I hope when you've got your barrel aging program going. Yeah. Um, no, no, not to um, sort of um, talk more about ne- negative things. I don't think any of this is being negative just to put that out there. I think it's, um, you know, it's the, it's the brass tax, it's the reality of running a business, you know, and a, and a brewing business is bloody hard work, you know, it's and <laughs> cash flow, even though, again, with Sheffield Brewery, even though it wasn't my business, I was kind of entrusted with it and like the cash flow keep me awake at night. Yeah. So it was a hor- horrible feeling, you know, and especially like when beer due was coming out and you've had a good month and you're like, ah, oh, things were just, just getting on an even keel and then the government's going to take all the money and, spend it on Christmas parties. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what the way you're using that example? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no idea, no idea. Um, but yeah, um, I, I've lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, but yes, yeah, the, the pandemic, uh, while we're talking about Christmas parties and, and prime ministers. Um, so like, like ha- just talk me through that because obviously, you know, you, you've got to a point with this reasonably large brewery and team and stuff and then all of a sudden it's like go to the pub but don't go to the pub and have a party <laughs> but don't have a party but we have a party like like so just how did that affect you guys and and i guess from a morale point of view and a a, a business point of view and and what were some of the challenges and, make, and just to make things a little bit more upbeat what what were some of the great things that have come out of that for you guys so must remember to focus on the positives. Yep. Um, so I suppose, yeah, for us, um, March 2020, we we um, didn't have an online shop. Um, so something changed very quickly. Um, we'd, um, I mean, for, for, I suppose, I think we were lucky at the age of the business we were because to some extent, and I'm not, I don't think anyone's really done this, but we, I had, I still had all the energy and to go like, I am not giving up. Like we've not even had a chance to, to try properly. Like, you know, like I'm, I'm doing everything to make this work because mm. I, I can't, I can't just have done, put all this work into starting and to get into this place and planning to just kind of, to be, to be affected by for that. So we, um, I suppose probably what was really handy was actually the size of the team we were and how the, the grounding that we'd come from in terms of Mike and I trying to run everything, the two of us meant that what we did do was as soon as the furlough scheme came in, we furloughed all of our team um, and we could run it, albeit, you know, 
it wasn't an easy time. We could run it just the two of us. Yep. And we occasionally got what a person in to um, help with canning. Um, but we we did do everything ourselves. We could brew again, we could package, we could do deliveries, we could run an online shop. So from that side of things, it was it was actually really useful that we'd kind of not gone and got a team straight away because you know it wasn't a case that we didn't know how to brew or didn't know how to do certain things. So that was that was good. Um, and it actually gave us a real opportunity to kind of uh, look at what we I think don't think you really get you don't get an opportunity when you start a business you're often just like so busy you don't get a chance to look back at what you've done and kind mm-hmm. of what you've changed and we got an opportunity to to do that because whilst it was really busy we were also spending like time like delivery driving around so like you get a lot of headspace I spent a lot of time like you know getting my creative thoughts doing door-to-door deliveries um and yeah, that did actually help us, I think, kind of reevaluate what we were about and kind of what what our values were and putting the kind of values more at the start and the front of the business rather than just something you kind of hope to figure out along the way. Um, and obviously it was a, it's a hugely challenging financial time um, for, for us as a business. Um, but I think we did get through it because of furlough scheme. Um, and then also we utilized like the bounce back loan to, um, help us bounce back and get, we got, um, more tanks as a result. Cause we were sort of selling out of our core pail and lager, um, during the pandemic. And we just thought, well, if we're selling out during a pandemic, then something's got to be right. Um, I think from a, a, a cash perspective of doing that probably wasn't the best, best decision we've made, but, um, you know, it, that's the, the, the thing is you make these decisions at the time and you think like this has got to be the right, the right thing for us to do. Mm. You know, if, surely if we're going to bounce back from this, when what, what we were thinking in June was that, you know, as I think a lot of people were, was that once um, the world opens up again, we're all going to have a wonderfully big party and feel <laughs> safe and yep. it's all going to go away away. And um yeah, that wasn't the case. And I, I don't know, again, is that I probably should have looked harder at the uh, Spanish flu statistics and all, mm. <laughs> all these things. But I don't know, we, um, we're still growing now. So, yeah, I suppose if we hadn't done that, we could be in a different position. And um, yeah, it's, it's I, I um, any brewery who doesn't have like a, a handy supermarket route to market you know who's got through this time is has done amazingly well but having said that you know if you look at siren who obviously are a much bigger more established brewery than us they whilst they have supermarkets and they had that route to market and the brand they also you know still had hundreds of thousands of you know kegs that would have been going to permanent lines all across the country and that they couldn't get rid of and and you know made losses on so for every brewery in this time, it was a real challenge. Um, but I think, I think coming out of it, I feel like I'm a, I'm, I'm a lot. I do actually feel like I'm a lot sort of stronger and a lot clearer on what I want, and kind of, um, you know, it has maybe forced me to be a, a better business person. I don't know if that if that's a thing, you know, rather than sitting here going like, um, you know, trying to. 
it's probably changed it from like that passion project to a bit more of like this is your business reality this is what you've got to focus on um maybe that will change where we, we where we get to at the end of the day um but yeah not not an easy time uh but we're still here and i am really grateful of that and it was it was, it was yeah it was hard but yeah. it's hard for everybody really yep no, j- just before I round up, and I'm I'm curious, just just while we're talking about all the hard questions, um, so the the proposed changes to um the UK BRGT, um, I mean, how will that affect you guys? Because I, I saw the other day, um, from the CBA newsletter, how they're looking to recalculate the um hexaliter percentage based upon pure alcohol, which means that yeah. breweries particularly breweries of your size will end up going up that curve a lot quicker than anticipated even more so um so like yeah. how, how is that going to affect you guys um so i think to, to some some parts that are positive or maybe not as bad as we thought it was going to be i think for us we would it's probably going to see a heck of a lot more lower abv stuff coming out onto the onto the market um rather than you know your sort of focus on IPAs or, or, or whatever, or your big barrel-aged stouts. Um, but I think for me, like maybe if, if, if I'm, if I, what I'd like to think from it is if I'm a consumer and I want to um, purchase a 7% something or a 10% something that, you know, probably I'm already in a mindset that I'm willing to pay for, for that. So um, it's not for us, like it's not our mass market is, is that such strength. So, I think I'm hoping for me that, that if we're all on like a level playing field of what we can then charge, um, that that we just have to unfortunately pass that cost onto the consumer. But for something that is therefore a, um, you know, it, it's an exciting product for them. It's a more special drink for them rather than like your everyday sessionable beers um now i haven't sat down with my spreadsheet yet to <laughs> to really calculate the the impact of that um but my initial reaction was yeah unfortunately if it's it's probably just going to change the shape of what people are brewing and then also what um what we will be charging the consumer at the end of the day yeah well let, let's end on a positive note so um, how can people get your beers because um the, the ones that i've tried um have been exceptional um i very much enjoyed there was an imperial stout that i got sent which was lovely um, i mean when in doubt imperial stout right yeah um, <laughs> and as as was um the collab with vocation and was it a munson yeah 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 the um the, what was it a lime and cherry sour Yes. Um, so I mean that that the the lime in that really hits you um, when when you first open it, but that's, that was um, very very nice. Um, so and and obviously Parker's just a, a spot on beer. Um, so I think I think it was um, Linda from Brewery Market in Twickenham that introduced me to you guys Aww. initially. So um, yeah, she, she um, recommended that, that beer. So how, how can people go try them themselves if they've not come across Double Barrel yet? Um, so oh yes, yeah, sorry. And I, w- I would like to say that from a, if I'm going to, I feel like I have sort of spoken many reality truths over this, this time. Um, but I do, I still love what I do and still, I'm still happy with decisions we've made, but I suppose it's probably, I think what you, I want to say is that if it's, it's good for everybody to know your, the realities and not just see the, the Instagram 
Oh yeah, side. that's a whole um, other podcast episode in and of itself. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just just trying to balance that out, I suppose. Um, but yes, for our beers, um, we are available through many uh, great independent bottle shops across the UK, um, as well as lots of pubs and um, bars that stock. Uh, great craft beer um, but we also have our own online shop if you uh, can't get a hold of us through one of those guys and if you can't then maybe recommend that they they do stock double barreled um so we yeah we at the moment we do we brew we brew quite a wide range of different beer styles so we have our, our core pale and our core um lager and then everything else kind of we basically release something new every every week um always like a uh, there's always a sour kicking around and dark, something dark in winter um and yeah lots of sort of lovely hoppy ipas i think i'd say as well you know if you tried our beer early doors like we've we've definitely worked on like continuously improving we've got um you know new people within the brew team and the, that's given us sort of great growth on kind of how we brew stuff like our hoppy pails and IPAs. Um, and yeah, we've definitely kind of, I, you know, compared to where we were when we first sort of started, we are, um, we, we have a kind of a, an internal mantra of continuous improvement. And I hope that people would see that within our beers and, and what we're doing. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure they do just from listening to this podcast, you know, because as you say, it's, I don't, it is reality, but you, you know, if you are on the journey of continual improvement and growth, you know, you, you always, I mean, I do this to myself. You always look and think, oh, I could have done that better. Oh, I'd have made that decision better. And so on, because you, you want to get better. So it, I think it is a positive thing. Although some people might not like to go, you know, the, the, well, I'm more of a glasses half empty kind of person. So it's when people are overly optimistic, I'm always a bit like, I'm a bit, I'm a bit suspicious, you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's been great to have you on, on the podcast. Just what's the web address? The um, so it's w, uh, double barreled.co.uk it's all one word no hyphen in it um, yeah that's if you google double barrel brewery we'll, we'll come up we're not shotguns um, <laughs> 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 uh, uh, but yeah that's, that, that, that's us <laughs> awesome on that bombshell <laughs> yeah that, that, that ended on a high yeah yeah <laughs> alright can I get three pints of uh, litter well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beer look as good as it tastes and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. Cheers.